Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. It's a Friday afternoon um, on the eve of UVA Duke in Charlottesville. Chris Graham, joined by Jeff Fife here on the show. And Jeff's going to sort of take over. Uh, he's done this numerous times for me in the past. He's a great host. And he's going he's gonna to make me answer some questions or at least delve into some topics. And I think it's going to be a good discussion. Hey, Jeff, how, how you doing, man? Doing fantastic. It's when the listener gets the opportunity to call in. You're the voice of the listener, yes. <laughs> That's right, the voice of the listener. I read, I listen, um, and then I fire you questions. And enough times, you know, that you and I talked, I just figured let's turn it into a podcast. So it's good to be back on the AFP Street Knowledge site um, and, um, and sending some things your way because I love picking your brain and I love the way you think about the joys of Virginia sports. Um, so... I've been, you know, an avid reader and listener of some of your work this week, and you've been prolific. Uh, and one of the very interesting topics that I found where you and, and Jerry on Thursday, the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast, uh, we're talking about sort of UVA's momentum and their ceiling. And it, it feel, felt like, as Jerry commented, you guys that, uh, you know, Tony Bennett seemed to be a little bit more intense right now. Like he knows there's potentially something special coming out of this group. And I wanted to deeper dive into that with you and sort of get your opinion on this. What do you think is the ceiling of this Cavalier team? How do they compare to the 2018-19 squad and how far can they go? You know, I actually wrote a column about this this afternoon as well. Um, I, th I thought when Jerry and I discussed that yesterday, it was a really interesting kind of kind of thought process to go through there um you know from a talent stand pure talent standpoint it's hard to say that any any uva team will ever match up that 2019 team and they're i'm sure at some point in the future there will but that will be the measuring stick for a while no doubt um six guys who played on that team uh who who played in that championship game uh, in the rotation six of these seven guys who played in that game uh were ended up in the NBA at some point. Uh, you know, a couple of them are still bouncing around in, in the G League trying to get there full time, but that was a pretty talented team for Virginia. Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure if there's six guys in this rotation this year. Tony's got a, a eight, set eight man rotation. I'm not sure if six of these guys are NBA guys or not. Maybe, you know, I haven't, I haven't done a full count what I project there. Um, and maybe we can do that as an out loud kind of exercise here too. But, uh, whether or not he has the level of talent he's got, I think he's got more flexibility with with his rotation than maybe even had in 2019, which was key to that championship team's success. You know, I noted in the column today that, you know, this time three, actually this time four years ago, I got to do do my math here. 2019 is four years ago now. The very weekend that we're in here, uh, we were getting ready to play Duke at home in Charlottesville. UVA was getting ready to play Duke on a, on a Saturday night in Charlottesville. LeBron James was in the house. That was the Zion Williamson, um, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish team for Duke. Uh, obviously a pretty talented team. Uh, and um, Virginia in that game, let me pull that story up so I can refer, because I, I did all this the heavy lifting on this already, so there's no sense in reinventing the wheel. Um, uh, the, the lineup in that game, though, was different than it was going to be uh, when Virginia played in the uh, NCAA tournament and then eventually into the Final Four in the championship game. Starting lineup for Virginia in the game four years ago this weekend uh, was Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, Jack Salt, and Mami Diakite. So two centers, essentially, starting with three guards. Braxton Key played 27 minutes that game. Key Clark played 24 minutes off the bench. Jay Huff played 10 minutes off the bench. 
Fast forward to the championship game that Monday night in April. It was Drum Guy, Hunter, Clark, Diakite, basically four guards and a power forward. Diakite being a power forward. Braxton Key got 28 minutes off the bench. Jack Salt, who had been starting, got, you know, all season long, got four minutes off the bench. Jay Huff got three minutes off the bench. That was Jay Huff's total for the final four. He got three minutes total in the final four. Jack got 13 minutes in the final four. But in the Elite Eight win over Purdue, Jack was on the floor for 34 minutes. So what I'm kind of getting at there is lineup flexibility is key. Um, you know, there are some teams and certainly some fan bases that say, boy, we would love to just know who the starter is going to be at one and two and three and four and five. And then just know that if you're a Carolina fan, for example, you know, Armando Baycott is a starter at center. There's no question about that. What Tony Bennett values and when his teams are the best is when he can he can go from game to game and match up to the other team and make them play his style of play by saying, all right, like four years ago, Jack Salt's going to start this game and play 34 minutes. Uh, okay, Mama Dikite is going to start this game, and Jack Salt's going to play three minutes, you know? Um, and, and he has that this year. Uh, he, he can start Ben Vanderplas. He has the last six games at center, a 6'8", uh, three-point shooting center. Um, he started uh, uh, Caden Shedrick 14 of the first 15 games this season, a 6'11", traditional center who I wouldn't surprise doesn't get to start tomorrow. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get to start tomorrow against Duke with their, their big front line. Um, you know, if you look ahead to the NCAA tournament, then, uh, you know, if, if, if Virginia is playing a team that goes four guard, one small uh, five, you know, a six, six or six, seven center, you know, do you want a big guy out there chasing around a little guy who shoots threes or would you rather have Ben Vanderplas? Well, we got, we got Ben Vanderplas. We didn't have Ben Vanderplas or a guy like Ben Vanderplas four years ago. And so, you know, you can match up with a four-guard team. You can match up with a big team because you can go out there with a big lineup. Uh, you can put Vanderplas and, and Gardner and um, uh, Shedrick on the floor at the same time. You, you can do that. Um, he's got two point guards who play most of the game together. Uh, he's got two point guards who are as good or better than any other point guard in the country. He's got two of them. Um, he's got, uh, you know, Jaden Gardner who has been scoring well of late, but if Gardner struggles, He's got a guy in Ryan Dunn who can come right in. He played 30 minutes a couple weeks ago in a game and had a great game, five points and eight rebounds, and that went over uh, Wake Forest. Um, so you got an option there. Uh, Armand Franklin, when he struggles, which last couple games he has been struggling, you've got Isaac McNeely who can step right in and, and do different things, and, and, and the different things he does, he does better than Armand Franklin. So he's got flexibility at more positions than he had four years ago. Again, the level overall level of talent might not be as good, but that flexibility – is there and you know when I think about it, it's it's going to sound you know weird to say, but the only team that worries me and the only team that should worry anybody when you look ahead uh, to the NCAA tournament would be a Purdue, just because of that big guy in the middle, the seven four guy who <laughs> could do a lot of things and it's hard to guard and you know you know nobody's going to be able to to check him one on one or or even with post doubles. But other than that, I think Virginia matches up with anybody in the country. And it's because of what Tony has uh, in his eight man rotation. So if you take the mad scientist metaphor, is he still stirring up the concoction? Is he still experimenting with that lineup? Are we going to see different, are we going to see different scenarios and different starters? And does it matter if you start how many minutes you're going to get at the end of the game? That's right. I, I, that's a, the, the, you're, you're, the answer to that is it doesn't matter uh, if you start. Uh, it matters who finishes the game. And we saw that in the Carolina game in Charlottesville, which, which is what started uh, the tinkering that uh, you know that Bennett has been doing the last few weeks. Uh, he he injected Ben Vanderplas in at the five. Virginia was struggling on offense mightily, not just in that game, but they had been for a few weeks, uh, dating back 
the whole month of December and in the first couple of games in January, uh, he puts Vanderplas in. It, it, it you know gets the offense uh, rolling, uh, and then you know now what you're seeing is the defense needed some adjustments, and that's what you saw. Boy, they I don't think I've seen this Virginia team play as good on defense as they did Tuesday night in that win over NC State. Uh, 50 points surrendered to a team averaging 80 a game, uh, and it was legit. They they played great defense in that one. Um, so. Um, so no, I, I think you don't put anybody in pin in the starting lineup if you're a Virginia fan, uh, because you, you're going to need a pencil and you're going to need to write lightly. There's going to be an eraser needed for some for some of these outlet uh, for the, some of these games, because because that's he's going to be able to match up with the other team, and within game even, I wouldn't say that even the guys who start <laughs> the first uh, half are necessarily going to be the guys who either start the second half or play predominantly you know, predominant roles in the second half. Um, it's just going to matter as to what the needs of that game are. And, you know, he didn't have this flexibility last year. He, he you know, he, the, 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 what's interesting about this group is basically everybody's back from last year, the key guys. And the only different guys he really has are Ben Vanderplas, the transfer from Ohio, uh, and uh, Isaac McNeely, uh, the freshman from Polka High School in West Virginia. But because of those two guys and, and what they can do, you know, Vanderplas can play three. He can play in the backcourt. He can run off screens. He can play four. He can play five. And McNeely can bring the ball up the court. Uh, he can initiate the offense, but he can also stand out there, hit threes. He can drive to the basket. Um, because of what they can do, they have made they have freed up the other guys to be the best they can be. So, um, inter- and, and Dunn, I mean, I, you know, throw Dunn in there too. Dunn hasn't played a lot lately, but his athleticism, he's going to be a guy like, he, you know, I think his ceiling is DeAndre Hunter. You know, that's obviously a very high ceiling. DeAndre was a number four pick, but I can foresee the development of a Dunn being, you know, in a couple years, three years, maybe a DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter type player. So, um, no, I, I don't think it matters who starts. I'm not even sure if it matters from game to game who starts and finishes, because I think it's going to be a game by game basis kind of thing for Tony Bennett. Talk about Dunn ceiling. Let's talk about the team as a whole ceiling. I mean, we've seen the good with NC State in that defensive effort. We've seen the bad stretches of the bad and stretches of ugly is there great in this team have we peaked was nc state the best we're going to see or do you feel like that there's more there's another level that that virginia can can really climb to i don't i don't i mean that was a a, a nice win over a good team that nc state team's already won 19 games this year they are legit they were eight and one in their last nine coming in but that said no i don't think this team has peaked because i still don't think tony has figured out what it's going to be in a sense. I mean, he's, he's still figuring out he's got his eight man rotation set. Now it's a matter of what lineups are best at, you know, to start the game, you know, to get through the game. How can I, you know, use my rotation? How do I sub, uh, you know, my guards out, especially Kihei uh, Clark and, and Reese Beekman to get maximum, you know, to make sure that they're, they're, they're together on the floor as much as possible, but also that, you know, they're with the right, guys when one's has to be off the floor to get some rest they can't play 40 minutes a game he may he may use more of you know more minutes from them in the NCAA tournament certainly but you want to get there with them still having some legs left so um so no I, I think that you'll see uh tomorrow is going to be interesting as we're recording this Duke is uh you know they're not as talented as as you, you, some folks might have thought coming into the season that they, they, and we're, we're going to talk about Duke more later in, in the show but you know, Duke, Duke, um, because they have to replenish their roster, they re-recruit a new team every year. 
Um, some years they have Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, and Cam Reddish, and some years they have that group that didn't make the tournament. Um, and this year's not – they're in the middle of those two extremes, but, uh, you know, they are big. And this is going to be the biggest team Virginia will play until unless they play Purdue. Um, Duke goes 7-1, seven 7-foot, seven 6-8 at their starting lineup in the front court. They've got 6-10 backups at, at the two, the four and five positions. And so, uh, you know, and, and their guards are big. I mean, the, Jeremy Roach is 6-2, is the only guy under 6-5 that plays regular minutes for this for this team. So, um, uh, so it, it'll be a challenge uh, size-wise uh, for Virginia. Virginia has been playing great when they play other small ball type teams. Um, and, and so that'll that'll be a challenge. But, uh, you know, after this, I mean, you know, they've already beaten Carolina once. Uh, they'll have to go down to Chapel Hill. Uh, Baycott won't be hurt in the first minute. Um, even though Jalen Williams, the guy who replaced him, played Baycott like uh, minutes there for for quite a while in, in the loss in Charlottesville. So, uh, so no, I think I think what you're going to see here is is Tony's going to still be working to figure it out. And uh, you know, what, the way I look at it, there's what is it? Uh, let's see, Virginia is ten and three in the conference, so seven games left in the regular season plus whatever they've got down in Greensboro, at least one one or two games, maybe three games. Um, he's got eight, nine, or ten games to figure out how he wants his team to look when the ball goes up in the air uh, in the first game of the NCAA tournament in a few weeks. When a deeper dive into Duke, since we started talking about them, you know, how do they rate in comparison to the remainder of the ACC defensively, offensively, or this is, is this a middle of the pack Duke team now? Is it a young team? What, what can UVA fans expect to see that hasn't had a chance to see them on TV yet? And if you turn it on while they were playing Miami, uh, most recently, you got a totally different view of Duke than what we've used to seeing. What what can we expect out of this crop of Blue Devils coming into Charlottesville? When I look at them, they've lost seven games. Five of them are road games. Two were neutral site games. They win at home. You know, if this game were in in, in Durham, um, it, it'd be it'd be a different game. They win there, but they they struggle on the road and not just. You know, losing games, you mentioned they got blown out by Miami, 22-point loss. They got blown out by NC State last month, 24-point loss. Loss at Clemson, that was a key loss for them. It really, they, they're they 8-5 and five overall in the ACC. But that said, you know, this is not – I wouldn't call this a middle-of-the-pack Duke team in the ACC. Right now, they're, um, they'd be in sixth place right now, uh, but they're a half game behind, tied in a loss column with NC State, and really just two games back of the leaders – uh, in the ACC, but that said, you know, you know, they're, no, they're, this is not a team that's going to win the ACC this year. Um, they'd have to run the table down the stretch and they, that would include beating Virginia on the road. Uh, looking at their schedule, they have to beat Syracuse. Syracuse has been good at home. Syracuse is, is nothing on the road this year, but they've been pretty good at home. They'll at least make that a game. Um, they, they'd have to beat NC state at home rematch. You know, they, they would have the advantage at home, but that they got blown out the first time. Uh, and they'd have to beat Carolina again uh, this time on the road in Chapel Hill. So they're not going to win out. They, you know, they're going to finish. They're eight and five right now. They're going to finish with twelve or thirteen in the ACC. Um, from a standpoint of of where they are in terms of NCAA tournament potential, they're they're a solid. I mean, a solid seven or eight seed right now. You know, their their uh, net and their Ken Palm rankings are both in the low to mid thirties. Um, they're, they're a team that's going to be, you know, they're going to be around. They're just not going to be, you know, I think coming into every season when you have the top one or two or three recruiting class in the country um, with in this one and done era, Duke fans expect to see them as a one or two seed. And this is not that kind of a Duke team. But that said, there there is some talent, not as much as, as had been thought. Kyle Filipowski is an interesting guy. 
he came in, he wasn't uh, even close to the top guy in that recruiting class, but he's emerged as the top guy on the court. Seven foot, 230 pounds. Um, he's, he can float the perimeter. He can score from the outside. He's only shooting 28.9% from three, but he's kind of a volume shooter from three. He can get hot. He can, you know, from out there, he can, he can create some matchup problems. And the fact that there's a twin tower kind of effect with him and then Derek Lively, who's not played a lot this season, but he's coming off his best game, um, which, you know, for, for a Duke big guy could be modest. He had 11 points and six rebounds uh, in the loss at Miami. He had four, four points and 14 rebounds and eight block shots against North Carolina. He's not much of a threat, certainly, to score uh, in the post, but he'll, he'll cl- clean the board. So he had five blocks against Miami, too. So he's had, I count now, 20 blocks in his last uh, four games, 13 in his last two games. Um, that'll be a challenge for Virginia just because Virginia likes, I mean, you know, Reese Beekman and Kia Clark get to the rim. Uh, and, and that's sort of th- their ability to get to the paint with the way Tony is, has tweaked the offense this year. They're not running move or block. Or they're, not, they're not running the motion offense almost at all. Um, they're, they're running a lot of sets that free up the, the, the guards, the point guards to, to penetrate the lane and either create for themselves, create for uh, the, the little pocket passes for, the, the bigs cutting to the basket or create those shots for the perimeter. If, if Duke can take away the, uh, the shots at the rim, that can, that, that might bottle Virginia up a little bit there. So, um, so the ability there of lively can be an interesting, um, something to watch for, I guess, uh, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening. Uh, but other than that, yeah, Duke plays nine guys. Uh, this, they're, they're playing nine guys. Uh, Shire's John Shire's playing nine guys in his rotation this year. And he's not getting a lot of productivity out of any one guy, except for Filipowski. Uh, but you know, without having watched them play for play this season, um, he's got some guys who can get the hot hand and and do some things in a certain uh, you know one specific game. So um, they can be a danger in that respect. They just you know this it's a young team that hasn't proven that it can win games away from Durham, and that's going to be the big problem for Duke, obviously going forward. Found it interesting when Virginia was playing NC State. Uh, watched the game live, but came back and watched the recorded game and heard the announcers mention that this was the first time in, I can't remember how many decades, NC State was ranked and Duke and North Carolina was not. I can't remember what that stat was and how long, but it made me think, you know, are we seeing the end of the Duke and Carolina dynasties? I mean, obviously Coach K isn't walking back into that stadium again. Roy Williams isn't coming back. Um, and we haven't seen the same. It's early yet, uh, but we just haven't seen the same type of kids or recruiting or energy in the short sample size after those legends have retired. Duke and Carolina dead. Uh, you know, I don't know about dead, but I mean, I, this is the ACC has been Tony Bennett's conference for a while now um, of the last nine ACC regular season champions. Five of them are, are Tony Bennett, Virginia teams. And so, um, you know, Virginia has the most recent national championship. Uh, th- th- there have been three total ACC championships in that 10 year run uh, that Tony's led um, Duke won one Carolina won one Virginia's won one. Um, but Virginia's, you know, they've been better record overall, better record in the ACC. Um, the, the one bugaboo has been Virginia has not been able to beat Duke uh, consistently, uh, at least the coach K coach Duke teams consistently. Um, but, uh, you know, so what's interesting about the Duke and Carolina are differently styled, te- differently recruited teams, differently put together teams. Uh, Krzyzewski went all in about 12 or 13 years ago with the one and done uh, uh, phenomenon. Um, 
one thing that's a limitation there, they still had, they in Kentucky, as, as has been the case the last several years, had the number one and two recruiting classes. But, you know, the NBA a couple of years ago uh, started allowing uh, high school guys to go play in the G League right out of high school with that G League Ignite team. And um, you're starting to see more of the actual top recruits who would have been a few years ago going to Duke and Kentucky are now playing in that with that G League Ignite team. And so even though the recruiting rankings still reflect that Duke and Kentucky are one and two every year, they're not quite getting the caliber of player. And look, look this year, both Duke and Kentucky are struggling mightily this year. Both are bubble teams. Actually, I think, you know, Kentucky's very much a bubble team. Duke's on the right side of the bubble. I, I mentioned seven or eight seed, but Carolina is not built that way and has not been. I mean, not to say that they don't get talented players. It's just that they don't rely on one-and-dones, and it's actually kind of rare for Carolina to have a one-and-done guy. They have not really traded in that in that realm uh, during this era. Um, Carolina is constructed a bit more like Virginia with Tony Bennett's construct, and that's, that was the case, a, a carryover from Roy Williams. You know, veteran guys, you know, you can recruit guys and develop them, and, and uh, they're going to be there for two or three or four years. Um, you know, look at this year's team. There's there's no shortage of, of of experience and depth on this year's team. And so what what's the question about Carolina just this year is uh, and, and, and maybe let's, look, let's take it to the last two years. Um, they were a bubble team uh, this time last year. And they actually were until late in this regular season. If they hadn't won that game at Duke and ruined Coach K, the first time they ruined Coach K's uh, retirement when they, they won the last game in Durham, then they won the game in the final four, too. But if they hadn't won that game, they might not have been in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so, uh, our, and then they won five games in the NCAA tournament, got to the championship game. They come in this season, preseason number one. The, the question isn't maybe uh, why this year's team is struggling. It's maybe what about that aberration last, last March and early April? That six-game run is what now stands out as being the outlier as far as things go because – they were a bubble team last year. They're a bubble team this year, except that they won five games uh, in March and April of last year. So, um, you know, I, I, I think this is already Tony Bennett's conference. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously this year, uh, you have Virginia's tied for, for first. There's four teams with 10 wins in the ACC. Who had that parlay, by the way, Jeff? You know, talking about uh, <laughs> things things you can, you can look into here. The ACC right now is um, – Virginia, Pitt, Clemson, and Miami, they'd be the double buys right now. They'd be, they'd be playing on Thursday, their first game in the ACC tournament. No one, no, not even the most rabid Pitt, Clemson, or Miami person had them in there, much less those four teams uh, outstripping then Duke and Carolina. Carolina and Duke are playing at this stage. They're definitely playing on, on Wednesday down in Greensboro. Uh, and it's so, be- yeah, it's, it's a topsy-turvy ACC, but I think this is just the – you know, uh, the start of things to come. I'm wondering if the combination of NIL, the combination of the transfer portal, the combination of losing those two uh, giants and coaching, which would give them uh, living room access that some, you know, that Shire uh, and Davis may not be able to get, if it really is going to signify a change in the ACC moving forward. It's been Tony's conference for a while. But does now this become just who knows who's going to come up? I mean, was it Beheim that made the comment that Pitt pretty much bought this team that they've got now? And yeah, was that they didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's he's overstating that by a mile. Pitt does not have the money to buy a team. But what 
what they're doing and what Wake Forest is doing is sort of it's it's similar to what Duke has done for these years uh, with the one and done. Just that it, they they have a different approach. Uh, Pitt, Jeff Capel, and Steve Forbes, the the coach at uh, at Wake Forest, they're not targeting their recruitment efforts at the the elite high school players because they know that, you know Pitt's not going to land you know five star guys. They're not going to land five five star guys. Wake Forest is not going to land five five star guys. But what they can do is they can work the transfer portal. Um, and they can, you know, and that's what Wake did last year. Wake, you know, they and, and this year they're, they they've got their best players and both teams' best players this year are are guys that uh, you know played a year or two or three somewhere else. Uh, they got you know got they they probably weren't highly recruited when they came out of high school. They got better somewhere else, and then these guys are saying, "Hey, come play in the ACC, play for us." And um, so it's 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 different, but it's also very similar structurally to what Duke has done for all these years. The one and dones. Maybe the only advantage is, uh, you know, when you're recruiting, like think of that kid last year, Alondis Williams, the weight kid uh, who you know, played there for a year. That was 22 years old, going on 23. He was a he was a man. He was you know he he played he was a six five guard, um, played bully ball. He was a point guard, had his hand on the ball, hands hands on the ball the whole time, and and, and just basically just back guys into the into the lane and took him to the basket and got fouled if he didn't make the shot. Um, you know, whereas the Duke kids are probably more talented, but they're 17 or 18 years old, so. You know, seventeen or eighteen year olds versus twenty two or twenty three year olds. That's a that's a formula that can kind of work out my way if I'm Steve Forbes or Jeff Capel. So I don't know the nil. Yeah, Jim uh, uh, Bayham saying that it's it's laughable to suggest that Pitt and and Wake Forest are throwing money at guys <laughs> nil money that is at guys um, and and luring them to come play for them. But the, what they have to offer is playing time and. Um, I mean, you know, it's it, it, you also have to though. You have to sacrifice what you do as a coach uh, with your team. You got to just roll the ball out there. You can't. I mean, Tony Bennett is. is you know, v- Virginia has not not been a part of the transfer portal process. Obviously, Ben Vanderplas has been a very important addition this year. Last year, they got uh, Jaden Gardner and Armand Franklin, but they, he's got to be very judicious because you know nobody's just going to walk right in and play the pack line defense. Or play the uh, the offense, the the really intricate sets on offense that Virginia runs. Um, you, you can you can plug a guy or two into your rotation. You can't start over every year with five guys. We saw a couple years ago, um, a very talented team with Sam Hauser and Trey Murphy, both who were putting up big numbers in the NBA this year, but they were both first year players in that 2020 21, 21 season, and that Virginia team lost in the first round of the, of the uh, NCAA tournament, had an eighteen and seven record overall. With a ton of talent, because you that year coming off COVID, they had two new guys in the starting lineup who had to learn all season long how to play uh, in in Tony's system, and it just didn't work. So, um, so but but if you're if you're a Jeff Capel, a Steve Forbes, and you can you you know keep it simple. Um, honestly, Kevin Keats keeps it pretty simple at NC State too. Uh, they Jeff, you were there. I don't I don't know that I saw them run too many plays. They just they have guys who can score. Uh, and they try to beat you one on one. They just didn't. They, they can't beat Virginia's guys one on one, but they can beat most teams one on one. That's that works uh, to beat most teams. And I and so if, if you're if you're Jeff Capel or Steve Forbes, I like what they're doing there. They're they're giving themselves the best chance to win. They're not going to keep guys for four years. Uh, they're not going to recruit four and five star guys and keep them for four years and win that way. The only way they're going to be able to win is the way they kind of stumbled into by recruiting guys off the transfer portal and giving them playing time. 
let's look at forecasting the last seven games and the log jam you referenced at the top of the ACC. You know, short of winning out, you know, what does Virginia have to do to finish the season as the number one regular season champ in the ACC? Um, you know, how many losses can they take and where do you see the biggest pitfalls in front of us? Is that pitfall tomorrow or is it somewhere else? I would say it's the game at Carolina, uh, you know, not running off Duke. That's going to be a, it's going to be a tight game. And, and but I think Virginia's got the firepower to win that one. And then after that, it's Louisville, Notre Dame at Boston College. Don't overlook Boston College. They swept Virginia Tech this year. Uh, then it's at Carolina Clemson at home. I like that one being at home. And then another one with Louisville. Um Virginia doesn't even have to play great basketball to go six and one down the stretch here to be, to be just be blunt about it. Um, hold serve against Clemson. That's your toughest home game. I mean, I think that's a tougher home game than the Duke game tomorrow, but you know, hold serve and win your, your tough home games. Um, even if you even write off the Carolina game as a loss, which I don't want to do, but let's just write that one off as a loss. Um, six and one down the stretch, gets you 16 and four uh, in the ACC. And so, you know, really what, what, uh, Tony and the team are, I mean, they, they want to win a championship. You like hanging banners, but you want, you really want the double buy. So as long as you're in the top four, um, you're pretty happy. You don't, if you don't have to play till Thursday, you're pretty happy. And I, I think that the way this schedule lays out, it'll be hard for them not to be a top four team going into the tournament. And I find it interesting that if they, you know, the, the interesting map of going through Greensboro for the ACC tournament. And then if you land a one or two seed, in the Eastern bracket, you could play on those same rims again Yes, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So to get a high seed at the regular season to advance to the championship game in the ACC tournament could put you on the same rims and sleeping in the same hotels and beds. You know, I don't know if there's an advantage to that or not, but it seems like a, a, a path to follow to get you into the Sweet 16. Oh, yeah, Virginia, definitely. I mean, Tony Bennett would love it uh, just from a management standpoint. If if they can if they can win the ACC regular season, um, which is very doable at this stage. Uh, yeah, get, even just get to the ACC tournament, even get to the semifinal. I mean, but get to, you know, do 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 well down there in Greensboro. Um, be the best team in the East, at least a one or two seed. Yeah. Uh, and right now, ranked number eight in the national polls, they'd be a two or a three seed in the, in the big tournament. Um, but if you can play yourself into a solid two seed and make it so that, yeah, your your path is Greensboro, which is very travelable for Virginia fans. Uh, they have, you know, Virginia fans have filled up uh, Greensboro uh, in both uh, ACC and NCAA tournament situations before. Uh, Raleigh has also been a great place for Virginia in NCAA tournament situations. Um, easy three-hour drive uh, down for most folks from Central Virginia. Um, you know, I remember the 2014 ACC tournament championship game uh, you know, eighty percent of the crowd that day against Duke. Uh, it was a bit. It was you know twenty thousand seats, and it was seventeen, eighteen thousand Virginia fans there. Orange. It was it was like JPJ with just a few more people in it. Really that day. Um, and then you know when you know if you can win those two, you set yourself up to go to New York, Virginia. You know a, a short train ride. Uh, get on the train in Charlottesville. Get on the train in Richmond and head up to New York and and uh, and get you ready for that. So so no that you you want to have the. The, the ability to travel light, you know, for, for your team standpoint, but then also have some fans in the house. I mean, Virginia lost the game in the uh, Sweet 16 to Michigan State back in 2014. But man, oh, man, there were a lot of UVA fans here that night. I, you know, I, I couldn't believe when I looked around. Virginia played the second game in that session uh, 
and I think the first game was was UConn, UConn and Iowa State. I think were the first game that that night, and the crowd was it was like that place was half empty. I'm like, man, this is this is amazing. You know, UConn's only an hour away. I can't believe there's this few UConn fans here. And then about halftime, the Orange people started showing up. And it's like, now I see what happened here. This is UVA. This is a big UVA crowd. So, um, you know, yeah, you'd love to have the, the 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 lighter travel for your team, but also then the ability for your fans to be there and make it loud on your behalf. Uh, to, if you can if you can make them as much home games as possible, and Greensboro and New York could do that for you, that gives you just a little bit better chance. Virginia in 2019 had a reverse situation. We did go down. First two rounds were in Columbia. Um, we didn't have a lot of people in Columbia. Columbia's a seven-hour drive down, you know, past Charlotte. And then um, in the second, the second weekend, uh, it was that those games were played in Louisville, which I think the sweet th th that bracket included. Now Virginia had to beat Oregon. Oregon didn't bring any people, but um, the other side was Purdue and Tennessee, and whoever was going to win that game was two hours away from Louisville. And it was Purdue, and that was a road game. I mean, that was that was the worst road game you can ever imagine. So that made that game even tougher. In, in addition to the fact that kid was making every shot he threw at the rim that game. So um, you want to avoid that if ever possible. That's why these last. That's why this last regular season stretch is definitely critical for Virginia. What's on deck for AFP? Uh, you've been very uh, you've been prolific in the podcast. I, I sent you a note a week ago, going I you know. What, what's going on? What type of uh, podcast are you dropping? And boy, you almost won a day. Yeah. Uh, here lately, which is great with some post game with Scott and your time with Jerry and then some observations yourself. You know, what what can fans expect this weekend from? AFP? Well, uh, you know, tomorrow, very busy. Uh, I've got one more uh, preview coming up of, of Duke, just kind of breaking down Duke a little bit like we did here, just just a little bit more depth. Uh, coming, uh, you know, looking at their roster and, and what they do and how they score points and that kind of thing. Um, and then looking at the projections from the from the metrics websites like Ken Palm and Evan Maya and Bart Torvik. Um, so we'll do that. That's the traditional preview. And then tomorrow, it's just, um, you know, like everybody else, you know, let's watch the game. And then and then afterwards, you know, I've had uh, great success with the post game observations column that I do. I, I always I try to find five things from the game uh, that then I can then you know write a couple hundred words each on and and figure out you know what the story of the game was that way. Uh, you know then we'll have Coach Bennett and whatever two players they bring out. That's probably more Sunday. You know and and we've had success too. Even though we're way out of football season, we're getting closer to the start of spring practice. So um, we've been we've been catching up with. Uh, the latest in, in Virginia football, mostly losing guys, uh, you know, mostly, you know, losing your starting quarterback, your middle, uh, all ACC middle linebacker, your all ACC cornerback, uh, that kind of news. But uh, we're, we're doing our best to, you know, get, uh, at least let people know what's going on with the football program. And uh, I got a couple more pieces coming up probably early next week uh, about uh, about UVA football to kind of look at, uh, you know, kind of where things stand with with uh, the football program year two of Tony Ailey coming up. Well, I appreciate you uh, allowing uh, the opportunity to pick your brain, and hopefully it's an enjoyable experience for the listeners. And I would encourage listeners, if they have thoughts, questions, how would they get in contact with you if they had a topic or a question? How would they reach out to you? So one place, if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube today, uh, the comment section there, I monitor that closely. I usually have some nice back and forth with some fans who who comment and some of those lead to columns. Some of those lead to stories, ideas, and that kind of thing. So, so the you the comment section here on YouTube, 
for those who are who are catching us there. Also, there's a comment section on the Augusta Free Press website that I also have. You know, somebody's got to monitor this stuff. I, I've assigned myself that role. Uh, but you can also email me at chris at augustafreepress.com. Sounds good. Well, an enjoyable Friday uh, late afternoon, and we look forward to seeing how Virginia handles the visiting Blue Devils on Saturday at JPJ. Thanks, Jeff, for your time. Thanks to the listeners out there, and uh, wahoo wah.